we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. From Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO, this is Buffalo What's Next. This morning, Angelique Preston speaks with the longtime leader of Good Samaritan Church of God of Christ, Bishop Glenwood Young. Bishop Young recalls a member of his congregation and sister-in-law, Pearl Young, who was one of the 10 people killed in the May 14th racist attack on the Jefferson Avenue Tops. So um, I want to talk about your sister, your sister-in-law, Pearl Young. Can you let us know how did you meet her? I know she was married to your brother. She married to my brother. Yes. Tell, tell and, well, she was from, she's from the state of Connecticut, and that's where I met my wife in Connecticut, and they were very good friends. So in the meantime, um, I, I met Pearl back, that's, oh my gosh, 50-something years ago. Met her then, and uh, then when she met my brother, she married him. She moved to Buffalo. Then I had a third brother. He met a girl from Connecticut, and he married her. But he stayed in Connecticut because that bishop in that Connecticut area told me, "said You got to stop coming down here taking all the ladies fly." <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so two of the ladies came to Buffalo, Pearl, and my wife, who I'd married, and. So I'd known her for the last more than 50 years. And can you tell us more about your relationship with Pearl? What do you remember about her? Well, she she was just a person. She was a people's person. Um, At the local church here, she was the president of of the missionary board. So she she took care of of training missionaries here at the church. Um, She also worked in my jurisdiction uh, she was a jurisdictional representative of the statewide Sunday school and young people's um, um, department. So she worked with that. She was also a substitute teacher with the Board of Education. Um, she was a person that took an aged people into a home and took care of them. So many days she'd have them at church with her. And then she loved working with food and giving out to the poor people in the pantry. She was just an all-around person, both spiritually and naturally so, and she was totally involved with the work of of the ministry of the church. How has the church, um, can you explain how the church has been affected by by her loss? Well, it's such an impact because um, the night before this episode, she was here at, at church on, on that Friday night. And then on that Saturday morning, when she had the uh, uh, a prayer breakfast, I don't know what location it was, but she had a prayer breakfast. She went there, and then 
she asked my sister to drop her off at Topps Market. And so then my sister felt bad after all this happened because she felt like if I hadn't dropped her off, she wouldn't have died. And then there was three other parishioners of this church who was coming out of Tops when she was going in and they spoke. And in less than a minute after they spoke to her, all this happened. So it left an impact on, and then her, her Sunday school class, the kids that she taught, it was just uh, like a brick falling on. And, and she'd been so loyal to this Good Samaritan church. Her husband, my brother, he, he was the only assistant pastor I've ever had. So he assisted me, and of course, uh, she was right by his side. And it's, it's hard to believe that she's gone. But she was a faithful person, loved doing, and she was commendable. Have you been to that top since they reopened? I, I probably won't. I won't go there. Um, I go to tops in, in my neighborhood. I, I've been to those, but I haven't been to that one. And I, I probably won't go. Do you think that tops should have opened back up in the same location? Many people questioned why open it back up when so many people were murdered there. That that was my idea that 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 location is how a location for us now. That's with ten lives were lost and I think two or three others were shot. Um, you can't drive by there, let alone go inside. I don't think and, and not reminisce about all that that took place. And that's what I think about. Uh, I've driven by. And it's it's a horrific feeling to know that someone that you loved and respected died on that parking lot. Um, I just, I, I couldn't see myself going there. And of all persons, it seemed like it wouldn't affect me in that way, but I just don't have no desire to go there. What were some of the things you, your wife, Pearl, and her husband would do together? Well, we traveled together because... We're going back to their home in Connecticut, so that was part of my ritual to go back there to to Connecticut with them. And and then um, Pearl was such a cook. Uh, she she would make uh, oh my gosh, think of that that thing. She was her favorite and my favorite. She made probably never heard of ambrosia. Yes, that Damon said that was the thing that he loved the most that she cooked, and Candace said the same thing, and Jeremiah, they all said her ambrosia salad. Yeah, so so no matter what she did in, in the state, whether it was at Good Samaritan Church or in the whole entire jurisdiction, she'd make sure that I had a big bowl of ambrosia, and nobody could make ambrosia like Pearl could make ambrosia. I missed that. <laughs> I, there's nobody else can make it like her. And Candace said uh, her peach cobbler was really good. Yeah, she she's one to love to make peach cobbler. So that that's what she did. She was a, and and of course she was a, a missionary at heart. So she did things for people. Plus she was a speaking missionary. So she liked um, lecturing and speaking. So she was an all around person. And uh, yeah, that day is so outstanding. Because before I knew that she was involved in that. I sent my son when I heard of the shooting. I said, I know she likes to go to grocery stores. Would you go by her house and just see if she's home? And he went by two or three times, and 
and she didn't answer the door and then my mind started clicking and before I was ever even notified I, I said um, hopefully she's not one of those victims but she was when you found out she was one of the victims how did the immediate weeks look after for you it was like devastation um, so sudden you don't expect a person to go to the grocery store and you know if they go there and they die of a heart attack you know they got sick and died but to hear that somebody got shot by someone and then how, as cruel as it was uh, and then, then to go in the courtroom and see him it was just devastating uh, for the whole community and, and uh, it shook up everyone have you come to a place of forgiveness as as a Christian and a, a servant of God, you have to forgive people because that's, that's a part of, of God's nature. All of us, not to that magnitude, but all of us have done something wrong that we need to be forgiven of. So we've got to have the forgiven spirit. It's difficult when you think of a person that had so much hatred. And I, I've thought about that. Uh, what would I say to him if I talked to him personally? Um, what could I say? Um, that that part of New York State where he's from, I've had experiences with that, with that part of, of New York State. Um, I, I tried to go into a hotel in that region and was told, don't stay here because there were people having a meeting in the, on that same weekend and they were those racist people were having a meeting and, and so I, I chose to go to another hotel but those people are in, in New York it's a lot of people like that in New York State um, and it's devastating and, and then you become paranoid um, after that happened some of the people stopped coming to church because on, on, on a few occasions a person of the Caucasian race came in the door in the back and just stood there, and that brought fear on people. And that person probably didn't mean nothing, no harm to do, but just in the person's mind, somebody came and looked in that door. So I had people said, I'm not coming back. Uh, while that's going on, I, I got notices on my telephone with pictures of people being on the lookout for this person. I still got the pictures on my telephone, being on the lookout for this person that's been known to be going to churches in Buffalo and, and, um, so a lot of people were afraid, and even today, including myself, when the door opened of the church, I'm, I'm thinking, who is this coming in? Um, preparing people how to escape and what to do if somebody come in and, with a shotgun and want to kill. So it's changed everybody's mindset. These are conversations that you're having in the church after 514. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, your own experience with, with racism as a black man in Buffalo, uh, what has been your, you mentioned going to the hotel in the air, in that area and, you know, not staying there because there was a, a racist group that was there too. Has that been something that, uh, has happened with you more than once in your life? No, but uh, um, the statistics said that Buffalo is one of the most 
segregated and racist cities in the whole nation. And no one liked to look at it that way, but um, it is. I, I gave the analogy um, just a few, few minutes ago that it's, it's like uh, I was told when I was a young person that somebody having a rabbit down on it, beating them with a club and saying, I love you. <laughs> I love you. And they beat them over the head. Uh, the uh, analogy that uh, if I walk into a bank and there's two lines, even now, if there's two lines and I'm standing there, I can almost guarantee you that the teller would automatically and maybe self-consciously call for that other person, even though we're both standing there, they'll say, next, and point toward that person. Instead of asking the question, who's next, they'll automatically extend to the other person. And I go through with that all the time. To me, it's overtly, and to them, it's probably done subconsciously, that they don't realize they're doing it. Uh, I was telling another person that um, when we used to go into the mall and go in, into a store shopping, because of the color of my skin and that, you know, they'd had they even had people following you around, and it's so obvious that they're following you to see if you do something wrong. And I'm just a customer, but they're following me and not paying attention to someone else. But that's that's what it is in, in our in our society. But my thing is that I, I think and hope that Christianity can change all that. We've got to come together because we have more things in common than things that are uncommon. So we've got to work out these things in Buffalo area region. We've got to do that. Do you think Buffalo is the city of good neighbors? I think that's the motto for, 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 for Buffalo. But it's, it's not, in reality, it's probably not. Um, as I said, the statistics nationally say that Buffalo is one of the most segregated cities and racist cities in America. And it's true. Um, hopefully all that can change. But my thing is that it takes Christ to change it. A person to get Christ in their life don't see people uh, for their color of their skin, but see them as, as a person. And I'm hopefully that it probably won't be in my lifetime, but that we can see people who they are. And, and uh, they'll look at, at, at a segment that's, and I know there are segments um, that's committing crimes, but I don't want to be branded because there's people that are committing crimes my same color. And when they see me, they automatically see me as one of those persons that's doing that. Uh, and that, that's what, if you're not careful, that's what people will, will do. Um, you know, it's probably not as bad as it used to be, but to get on the elevator with a person of, of another color and you'll see them trying to get their purse out of the way like I'm going to steal their purse, which is so overtly saying that I don't trust you. And those are the, are the small things that, that people do and they probably don't realize they're doing them. Things have to change. we got to get to the place where we see people as people and not see their color first. And I understand that um, there's crime, there's poverty, all that's going on. But we're not going to change it with some of the methods that they're trying to implement. 
we got to do things. They got to open up jobs and uh, the, the learning facilities, make them better for, for our, our youth and have training. I, I, I told somebody, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about having a school here um, where I can teach kids and it's not like when they go into other schools and everything is going on, they're afraid to go into schools. Um, and some teachers, yes, it's hard to believe, but some teachers can't hide their feelings. They don't give their best to the inner city. It's just like a job. I'm, I'm here and I'm getting out of town or going back to my home. And that's not the way to solve these uh, racial issues. Well, well I, I can, as old as I am now, I can go back to when, it was a long time, when, when I, I was 16, 15, 16 years old in high school that I thought it was awkward for my teachers, teachers, to see the other race of people. And we're all in the high school class, but they're telling them off the side, we got to prepare you for college. We got to make sure you're taking the right courses because you got to have this to further. And then the other faces, it's like I'm, I'm not interested in telling them what they need to. So I, I, I saw that back when I was 15, 14, 15 years old in high school that there was a difference in how the teachers administered to different races. And was this here in Buffalo? Yeah, here in Buffalo. Mm. Here in Buffalo. They, it's so outstanding in my mind because they pulled people to the side and said, we got to prepare you for going to college. So make sure you take this course and make sure you do this here because you got to be prepared for the next step. But to the minority kids, this there. But so so that, that's what race, racism is and we can say what we want to say, but it's it's here. As I'm here, it's it's surreal for me to be here, um, knowing that Pearl walked these halls and spent so much time here. How much time did she spend here? Did would you say that like she practically lived here? Well, we, we with the black experience, uh, we we had church services on Sunday, of course. So she was here from from 9 a.m. to teach the Sunday school. And of course, um, we didn't get out of church until maybe maybe one o'clock in the afternoon. So she's here from, from nine to one on Sundays. Then she's back on Tuesday for, for her missionary classes on Tuesday. Then back on Friday for uh, our um, pastoral teaching classes. Then on Saturday, uh, working in the pantry so it was like she was always involved in something. And, and that's only, only talking about the local church, this physically local church. That's not inclusive of, of the jurisdiction where she did things in, in the whole jurisdiction of Western New York. So she was, she was not only here, but she was outside of the area. Right, too. right. And, and, and so her death affected a lot of people. The, the, the young kids here... Haven't got over it yet, you know. From when she's bringing her, her her little goodies in the morning for her special class, um, cookies and milk and and juice and all those type of things, and sit around the table and teach. But they, they, they it could be taught and eat at the same time. <laughs> 
So she was good at doing things like that. And she was just a jovial person. What are some of the things the children have expressed since her passing? I know you said they miss her. Most of them miss, miss the, the memories of her taking her class um, down to the basement section and them sitting around the table to have a meal. Kids, they couldn't be hungry because she always brings something for them. And they just loved her class. Her class was like exciting for the young kids. And then sometimes she would stay down there afterwards and drink her coffee <laughs> and drink her juice and all that. But she, she was a fun person to be around. One of the uh, things that I've gotten from her uh, in talking with uh, Damon and, and talking with her grandchildren was that she did not act her age. She was running circles around, and Sister Madge Whiskey also said this, she was running circles around, around people, especially the young folks. She was always up doing something. Yeah, she called, she had what I call almost like nervous energy. She had to be doing something all the time, cleaning, serving, talking, walking, <laughs> doing what we call in our church, uh, you know, like like the spiritual dancing in churches. Uh, and they called her a dancing lady because um, the day she died, she was up, even at the prayer breakfast, I looked at some of the videos, and she was up in, in the prayer breakfast an hour before she died. Um yeah, all those are memories. And everybody said, well, we just saw her, and she was so happy. And an hour and a half later, she's gone. Yep. Um, but she she lived a life, I, I think about that, which, what would she do? I know she'd rather be living with her, her grandchildren and people at church, but would she exchange the rest that she have in, in God to come back to this society. I think she would choose not, not to come back to society. We would, with the peace that, because we, we said, uh, as the Bible said, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So at the moment that guy took her life and she was a Christian person, when she left that body, the human body, she went with a presence to be with the Lord. Did you ever question why this happened? You got to be careful because um, the humanistic side of all of us will ask why. You know, uh, you ask, why does baby die? Um, one of my closest friends, um, his, his child died and it devastated him. And, and he could not ever really refocus by saying things like, why did God allow this to happen? And is there a God that would let a child die? Um, so different persons, different perspective. But uh, when we come to the place that everything that God does is, is divine and that, that uh, we can't hold no hardship, but we have accidents, fires, plane crashes, wars. Um, we could go endlessly asking why do these things happen but everything is in God's hand and in life life is, is not promised to any of us um, I don't know whether I'm going to be living in the next 10 minutes um, you, you know life could be gone that suddenly 
So we just got to enjoy it. But the things you asked, why so tragically um, to a person that did nothing but good, the people that she brought to church here was, was older people, geriatric people that she would bring and take care of. Um, did good, did well. And then she died at the hands of a person that would drive three and a half, four hours with one purpose. It's challenging, it's challenging. Um, now, I, I, I've got to look at myself because Am I sitting there sometimes? Am I thinking, what would be justice for him? The electric chair, the gas chamber, or just sending him to jail? And I got to be careful that I don't pass judgment on anyone myself and leave that up to God. I'm sure you think about both your wife and your sister, but how are you taking care of yourself? It's devastating. It hurts. It's hers, and, and uh, like I said, my wife and her was lifelong friends, and and uh, uh, she knew my wife before she knew anyone here in, in Buffalo, and then for my wife to die, and she died shortly after that, and uh, they had such a good relationship, and Pearl had such a outgoing spirit. Um, if you're ever traveling, and want to stay awake, you put her in the back seat. <laughs> She'll keep you talking. <laughs> she, she, you wasn't going to fall asleep. <laughs> but that, that was her way sometimes. Oh, my God. You know, but she just keep talking, 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 talking. But that was, that was her, her, her style. And that's why she's, she's missed so much. And then she took care of my brother. You know, he came down with dementia and and she just babied him and took care of him and nourished him like a wife would. So I respected her for that. And she, she's just a lovable person. And so the person that, that you miss um, from not being here with us. Bishop Young, thank you so much for sharing your memories of Pearl with us and allowing us to do it in your church where she was also a member. Stay tuned for more Buffalo What's Next. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. On Buffalo What's Next this morning, we are talking with Leah Halton-Pope, candidate for uh, the Ellicott District Common Council seat here in Buffalo. Leah, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Jay. A pleasure, for sure. Um, so much to talk to uh, and about, obviously, lots of issues inside the district. Um, but your background is interesting and your association with uh, the State Assembly Majority Leader. Crystal yes. People Stokes, you've been with her for a while. Yes. What do you What do you take from her as you go into this uh, into this campaign? What uh, What kind of lessons does she give you? So I've been with the Majority Leader for the last ten years. Um, I've served as her senior advisor. I've served as her deputy chief of staff and legislative director and her campaign manager. I feel like um, 
I'm the only staff person that's both here with her and in Albany. One of the biggest lessons I think she's taught me, she's consistent um, behind the scenes and in front. And so that it's okay to be your authentic self at all times. Um, I've watched her make some really hard decisions or speak on issues that may not be something you personally want, but it's best for the entire community. Um, and um, I've learned that. I've watched her be in a space where she's not only the only woman, she may be the only person of color hmm. in a room and still command it. Um, and to be comfortable in your own skin. I feel like that's important. And because she's a person of faith, a lot of times in, in government, um, that's not something that you're supposed to, to show, um, but she does that on a regular basis. And so I, I, I do admire her ability to do that. Um, and it makes me feel comfortable in, in the space that I'm in. And she's forthright, and so am I. She's a straight shooter, and so am I. And so, yeah, I've learned that it's all right to just be you. Uh, interesting, you mentioned faith. I did see uh, mention on social media that your, your father founded uh, the Greater Faith Bible Tabernacle Church here in Buffalo. Yes. Um, my dad, the late Bishop Nathan S. Halton, um, he and my, my mom came here in the 80s. Um, we lived in Hamlin Park. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, the church actually started on Hamlin Road. And um, it was, it moved to uh, University District. The property was where the old Immaculate Heart of Mary Church is. So right in the middle of the projects, um, Kenville Langfield, um, uh, a growing pop community. They were in, a, they rented a small room at first and then rented the bingo hall and then were able, like the small congregation to buy and pay it off within I think 10 years which was, you know, pretty amazing. They took no help really from the city or anybody else. Um, he became chaplain of the Common Council. Um, he worked on behalf of the community. I think they were trying to put like a, a drug rehab center across the street in the old school 85. And so he organized the community against that because we didn't need that at the time there. And um, he and my mom were able to purchase that building. They created a daycare center for kids to um, 200 children, six weeks to 12 years old. I worked there. Mm. <laughs> I would leave. It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I, I, I would come after school. I would literally, they would send somebody to come pick me up after school. I would come and work um, in the afternoon. So that's where my work ethic came from. Um, he started, it was called Greater Faith Housing. So he um, was able to purchase some HUD homes, hold a mortgage on those, have people rent um, and their rent went into or, uh, escrow, taught them how to clean up their credit. And then once it's set, that escrow went to their down payment for them to become homeowners. So um, focusing on community, that was something that mattered to him. And uh, he put that in his girls. There's four of us, so five total. So it's interesting that I mean, he was addressing affordable housing. I mean, not that it hasn't always been an issue since I was a young kid, mm -hmm. but most certainly it's becoming more and more acute. And we hear a lot about it in the city of Buffalo. Are there, do you reflect on that as you hear more about the need for affordable housing in the city of Buffalo? I do. I think it's necessary, but I also think home ownership was important and financial literacy. Um, learning how money works is not something that we're 
all that good about. So when it, when I think about affordable housing, I think of it from the perspective of, you know, if you want to be a renter, you should be able to stay here. You should be able to afford it. It should be reasonable rents, right? But then also, if you've been there long term, and, and, and part of this is also working with the majority leader and um, noticing some needs, um, can we make sure that these renters also have some equity? Like you've been living in this space for so long. How do we transfer that over? Or working with developers, if you're building new housing, um, let's have an equity piece that will pour back into those renters so that they, they have some investment where they live. Um, be it, I don't know, pouring into their education, allowing you know your niece, your nephew, your child to get tuition costs covered, or some portion of your rent to go into to um, maybe turning into a condo or something like that. So you have some ownership there. Um, I think Ellicott has the most development um, in the city, and there's a lot of new homes. Um, you want people to be able to stay there if they want to, as a homeowner, as a renter. So you um, go to Albany frequently during the legislative session as yes. the legislative director for uh, uh, Assembly Majority Leader um, People Stokes. So you've seen these, uh, and then you come back to the Ellicott District and you'd go knock on doors. Yes. What are the issues that the people in, in Ellicott are talking about? Is it affordable one, housing one of them, or is there, or like you said, is there maybe you know, there's enough, uh, a certain uh, level of development there that they're comfortable with? So I want to be honest, um, this new Ellicott um, is very diverse, socioeconomic backgrounds, et cetera. So you have homeowners. Sorry, you ex- I, the, the district actually ex- extends into portions of El- Elmwood Village, right? Yes, yeah, okay. it now goes into Elmwood Village. It goes into Genesee Moselle. Um, so you've got old parts of Fillmore, a little bit of what used to be Niagara, a little bit of Delaware, even a s- small part of Lovejoy is now Ellicott. Um, and you've got New Americans different ideas of how things should operate. Um, you've got those who are most in need, um, some renters who live in public housing, some renters who choose to live where they are, but they may be able to be, they may be a little bit more financially stable. And then you've got homeowners. And so I think understanding every neighborhood is a little bit different. Sure. So the issues that I hear are different, right? From homeowners, they want their taxes to be low. Right. Um, for renters, they want their rents to stay reasonable. Um, we're blessed here that we don't have the same issue as New York City where you're paying $5,500 a month. But if you go from $500 to, to $1,500, that has an impact on your life. Right. Um, especially if you're not getting opportunities to, to jobs that would allow you to afford that. And so I'm hearing all of that as a knock on doors. So homeowners are like, look, we want to take care of our streets, our sidewalks. We want our communities to stay safe. And frankly, the renters feel the exact same way. And right. so I, I find that we're, the commonalities are where I try to focus. Yeah, the um, you mentioned how the, the Ellicott District is formed now and some of the other districts as well. Redistricting was an issue last year. Um, it, I, I guess I'll express my own personal opinion. I would say I was disappointed mm. the way the process went that wasn't on you that was you weren't part of the the, the, the uh, council at the time but what about that process though moving forward I mean, you know again these districts are taking on a certain shape and i'm not necessarily sure that they're it's in the best interest of the city of buffalo but that's again just one kind of of 
mildly uh, expressed opinion inside a question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that the process, that's a lot, right? I, could we do more? Yeah, you could. So I think the council itself and even the, the commission initially, their meetings were aired publicly. Um, they did post them within the time, like this is how we're going to have a, a public meeting on X, Y, and Z on redistricting. Um, people didn't show. Even with the commission's final report before it went to the council, only one person showed up in chambers. I was there. Um, and I found that disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, the final maps, the current council did what they felt was the best thing. Um, my job as, you know, a hopeful to represent the community is to make them feel as included as possible and to be this new voice for a new elicate. Um, some people might be disappointed in it, but I, I'm hopeful that under my leadership we'll all be pleased and elicate and nobody will feel excluded. And, of course, there's no way to universally please 100 percent of the people, right? No, we but all if, agree I think that. if you, you know, if everybody's a little bit unhappy, we may have done something right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it. That's for sure. Um, so let's get into, into what are the issues you're hearing as you go around the Ellicott district. Like we you mentioned how homeowners have their kind of per personal point of view. Renters have theirs. What else are you hearing? I'm hearing um, streets and sidewalks, specifically streets and sidewalks um, and infrastructure issues. Um, I'm hearing from neighbors um, just wanting to be heard. Um, you have communities who feel like they've been neglected on all sides of the district itself. And I think just knowing that somebody's hearing you and at least being responsive to you is what people want. I think that that's the same in any part of the city, the state. Um, it's not just Ellicott, it's across the board. I want you to know that, I wanna know that you see me and that my opinion matters and that when you call me, you'll respond even if it's, I don't know yet, I'll work on it. And then you follow up to say, at least this is what I've gotten so far, here's how we can affect change. I think what's really important is knowing that this doesn't work with me as a leader just making a decision for you, it has to be collaborative. And most people have been really receptive to that. Um, the other issue is, you know, some- Did they feel that reception, that, that sense of yeah, reception I've that you showed up? Yeah, I've really enjoyed um, talking to people, um, hearing their voices. Some people are, are looking forward to what's next um, um, and seeing what the new Ellicott is gonna look like. Some people have been a little bit disenfranchised with government itself and, and not trusting. And um, still, after talking to them for a little while, they're like, you know what, I'll give you a chance. <laughs> um, and I appreciate that because I can't, I'm unique in that I at least know how government works in the sense of I know what's the state, I know what's the county, and I know what the city can do. And building those relationships over the last 10 years allows me to say to constituents that, um, I don't know everything, but I'll do my best. And I do know that this right here, I can't make this promise to you because this is something at the state level. But I'll work with partners on that level to make sure that we get that. Um, it's I interesting you should mention that because I do, I kind of do see that a little bit. There's sometimes a misunderstanding of which level of government handles things. Right. Is that a, is that a frequent Yes, I think so. And I think every office and every level of government, I don't, if you talk to someone who's there currently, um, who's been in office before, everybody receives calls to deal with a multitude of issues. Sure. Um, 
at, when our offices were on Delavan, I found that more people came into our office just to use our fax machine hmm. to take care of utility services. Um, or, hey, nobody came to pick up my garbage. And that's definitely a city right. responsibility, not necessarily state. And you don't say, oh, we don't do that. Instead, you say, let me work on it and we'll make the calls for them. Um, and I think you'll find that on, on the state, the federal and the city and county levels. Everybody has these things. People just don't know. They just know that you're representing them and fix it. Right. So you figure out how. And I think that depends on who you have working in your office. Um, who you surround yourself with, and and the relationships you have on those different levels of government, so you can get answers as quickly as possible. Leah Halton Pope is our guest this morning on uh, Buffalo. What's next? Ellicott District uh, Common Council member, and also currently also the legislative uh, director for Assembly Majority Leader Crystal Peoples Stokes. I'm actually her senior advisor. Senior advisor? I thought you said <laughs> you told me legislative. I was director. her LD. Oh. I changed titles when I came back. Senior advisor. Yes. Wow. That's uh, that sounds that sounds good. <laughs> but to that, you you were in um, yes in Albany, and you're in Albany quite a bit. Um, an issue that I, I didn't make it into the budget, and I'm not sure how much it would have. It would have there was a lot of talk about um, good cause eviction mm-hmm. um, legislation. What did you see there? What did you hear about that? And like you said, the the assembly majority leader has to handle a lot of different things, and make difficult decisions. What uh, what, what, what did you see in that debate, if that was much of a debate? Um, so all of legislation in, in government, it's a numbers game, majority rules. Um, and I don't believe that the majority is there yet. So the issues of downstate don't necessarily always translate for upstate. Not that I'm separating the two, mm-hmm. but um, where you have more renters downstate um, upstate, you have a lot more homeowners, um, and the impact on that that senior, you know, seniors who may be homeowners in this is that there was some reluctance from some upstate communities, and so I think it's an ongoing discussion. I think um, I think it's a good conversation that's happening, but I can say that I don't think you have a majority of of representatives that are 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 there yet to pass that. And what about in the city of Buffalo? There, there's a lot of talk about, of course, the future of the east side. And there's some big projects coming up, covering of the Kensington. Mm-hmm. Looks like the terminal is going to move into a higher gear here. And, mm-hmm. and with that, there's a signal to developers that there's opportunities here. That's true. At the same time, we know that the people who live on the east side may not be able to withstand the economic growth and the demand for um, living space. How do you see that balancing out as we move forward? I think you have to have conversations, obviously, and um, with both community and those developers. Here's what we'd like to see. What is going to be your contribution to the communities that you're in? What promises are you going to make? Um, in our office, we've been very intentional about um, – asking those hard questions like how are you going to help these residents and so part of that is is equity in the renting space like if we're giving you this how are you pouring back into the community um for some so in the fruit belt specifically because it sits right in the middle of the medical campus and you know as that grew out Mm -hmm. there was no more development that was going to happen on the west side because what do you have water so everything was going to come on the east side we initially um 
and out working for the majority leader, um, wrote a property tax cap bill. So those seniors who lived in, in that community specifically, and it impacted maybe a little bit of the first ward, um, using at the time old census data, we were able to put a tax cap on those residents who had been there for a long period of time. Um, so they didn't get pushed out because of a gentrification, um, because of the new development and values going up on property um, until they either sold the property or it went into somebody else's hands and then it would go to the proper assessed value. I think um, with these new changes, thinking about those things will also help um, tenants and residents, um, homeowners in, in the city to, to stay where they are if they want to. Um, or to benefit, but I, I think it requires having conversations with developers right. and residents and figuring out where is our common ground. It's interesting also that um, there's going to be a significant change in leadership in the city of Buffalo. Yeah. The council president, of course, is not running for election. You're running for a seat. I am. <laughs> um, the mayor, um, we hear lots of rumors about what the mayor may want to do with the rest of his career, and that, of course, is all for another topic. But that being stated, we're going to see change, other changes on the council as well. So there's an opportunity here, I would think, for a new vision for the city of Buffalo. Mm -hmm. You're talking to residents inside the Ellicott District, and they're talking to you about, let's get those sidewalks fixed, let's get those streets fixed. And I'm sure that's, that's a common sentiment across the city as well. But where do you see perhaps an opportunity for this new leadership to come in and guide the city into something that a, a place that they're it's not it right now well i will say i think the biggest change we're going to see for sure um is having women <laughs> on on the council Been a long time well the ellicott district itself hasn't had a woman since 1995 okay the council hasn't had a woman since um bonnie russell 2014 right? yeah bonnie russell so barbara miller williams i think she was appointed in 95 for ellicott and she served maybe, maybe eleven years. Okay. Um, and then Bonnie Russell was the last one um, in twenty fourteen. So since twenty fourteen, we haven't had that. Women are caregivers. We are um, that first those first teachers. We are business owners. We are the backbone of, of our party. We're the backbone of our communities. Um, and so having our voice and insight on on the council is 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 critical. Um, we see things a little bit differently. Um, we're a little bit deliberative in our thought process, maybe a little more nurturing and, and figuring out how we um, can make our community better because for many years we're not necessarily at the table. And so um, this is a unique opportunity to change Buffalo um, by diversifying the council, which I think is going to be really great to have different viewpoints Um and for certain, we'll have at least one woman on there. And <laughs> if I have my way, it'll be definitely two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, also people who understand how things work um, and have relationships and have built relationships over the years, I think that's where you have a chance to, to see the Buffalo we, we all envision. Um, working together um, with people from every background and um, – I'm looking forward to it. It's an it's a new opportunity. Like I said, this new vision, this new Buffalo. Um, I'm excited about what's next. I really am. I'm excited about the opportunities that are in front of us. Uh, there's a lot of economic development coming to the community, and how we spend that money is really important. 
So to me, what does the community want? What do you think is most important um, to you? What and, and what matters on Jefferson is not the same as what matters on Genesee and understanding that. And what matters on Genesee does not, is not the exact same as on Elmwood. Um, and seeing the neighborhoods differently, but also recognizing where the commonalities are, I think we can do some really great things and see Buffalo continue to thrive and grow. I mean, you're supposed to build. It's supposed to get better. Right. Uh, Buffalo, what's next? Our guest is uh, Leah Halton-Pope. We're coming down to our final uh, few minutes talking with uh, the um, uh, candidate for the Ellicott Common Council District seat here in the city of Buffalo. Um, what's, what's, tell me about the Ellicott District. I, I love asking this question. What do you like about the Ellicott District? What tell, what tell me about it? What, what, is the, what makes it a special place? I like that um, you can go anywhere and still find the same sense of community, mm-hmm. family, um, safety, businesses thriving. Um, I like that there's diversity in thought, that you can have a conversation with somebody who may be um, from the, the Bangladesh community um, or a Muslim community um, or a strong Christian community or those who have differing faiths. Um, I like that it's more reflective of the city as a whole. The Ellicott District is very reflective of the city of Buffalo and, frankly, this country. Um, I think we have a lot of opportunity for growth. Um, I'm looking forward to um, working with and representing um, the residents there. I enjoy talking to them and walking on the street. And, you know, you can stay. I spent a lot of time yesterday um, talking to a, a couple of gentlemen um, at probably like 15 to 20 minutes just mm-hmm. talking to them and hearing where we've been and, oh, I've been in this neighborhood for 34 years and here are some promises that were made and some things that we thought would happen and they never did. Can you did. give me an example of what they might have said? Um, in some areas, um, some areas were like, well, you know, we, we really, 30 years ago, we came up with this strategic plan and um, what happened to it? And so you, you, it's the first time you hear some of sure. these things because it's 30 years ago. Right. Um, and so they become disenfranchised to some extent with government. doesn't mean they don't love the leadership that they currently have. This is no reflection on, on the council president or, or the majority leader or the mayor or anybody. It's just a lifetime of seeing change right. and, or hoping for change and not necessarily seeing it reflected in the way that they thought. But I also learned that um, because of that, or, and nobody coming back to them and saying, well, here's why we can't do it in some cases way back then, I think um, they just stopped participating in the process on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and to hear them say, you know, all right, I'll give you a chance. Like, we'll see what happens. I think that that's hope. Right. Um, the city of Buffalo, Ellicott District in, in particular, as you know, we've, we've had an interesting year. And... Um, We've proven how resilient we are, and I feel like this district specifically, because this is where Tops is, this is where um, a lot of the, the hit came, um, we're, we're seeing exactly how great the city can be if we work together, um, when we acknowledge our differences, but really focus on our commonality and, and, and build a better Buffalo together, I, I think. Where Ellicott itself is, is definitely on the move, and I'm excited. And, about the potential. And if 
if elected, uh, Leah Halton Pope, uh, how are we going to go about making sure that the, that then thirty years from now someone's not talking about the strategic plan that they, <laughs> they heard from you? Well, I think it has to be participatory, right? Yeah. Like I can't make, and I've been honest with people that I talk to. I'm not going to make a promise to you that I can't keep. So the biggest promise I'm going to make is that I'm going to do my best. And I can't do it unless you're there with me. And so as long as you're a part of it and you're in it, I'm in it. If you stop speaking to me and stop talking to me and you're not communicating, I don't know what your needs are. And so I think, not think, I know that my tenure as council member representing the district will be focused on working together and listening and having conversations with one another. So more district-wide conversations, and then also individual, like, you know, what does Elma Village need? What does Jefferson need? What does Perry Projects, what do they need exactly? What does the Fruit Belt need? Um, what does Willard Park and what does Genesee most, like, let's have those conversations based on your needs and then collectively figure out what we can do together. So when it comes to a strategic plan, you won't be able to say, oh, Leah failed you. It'll be, we failed ourselves if we're not working together. There's, I think, what, five candidates who have announced in the yes. delegate. I haven't checked. All everybody. gentlemen. I, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I haven't checked all, all of their uh, petitions to make sure they're all legal. But uh, why should they vote for Leah Halton Pope? I think um, people should vote for me because um, I'm ready to face challenges. I am focused on finding solutions. And, and, and ready to act on those solutions. Um, and I am the only candidate that at least has some understanding of how things work and has spent the last 10 years building relationships, not necessarily for myself, but for the city of Buffalo, which you know the majority leader represents. And so having those relationships is important. Um, it shouldn't be minimized. Um, and you want somebody who at least can hit the ground running um, that, can, that can get to work right away. And uh, I'm the only one that can do that. I really, I feel very strongly about that. And I'm hoping that the residents of Ellicott can see that and will support me in that. Leo Halton-Pope, uh, thank you very much for joining us about What's Next. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL and Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.